0: Welcome to The Blast Zone, the podcast where we dig up the bombs of shook Hollywood and try to find out why they went up in flames. This week, everybody wants to be drafted by Cleveland, and that's only like the fourth most unrealistic thing about this movie. This is Draft Day. Welcome, welcome, welcome to The Blasso. Welcome to The Blasso. We are not a podcast about bad movies. We are a podcast about movies that did badly. That's right. I am John Drake, in-house film critic of my Letterboxd account.
1: And I'm Ian Dukes. So I'm a person with thoughts and feelings, and some of them are about movies.
0: Movies like Draft Day, which we're talking about today. Very exciting. Just in time for the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl that my Cincinnati Bengals will be playing in. Oh my gosh. Can't believe it. And by the time this episode comes out, we will not know the outcome of that game. So, I expect you all to be cheering with me and rooting for them.
1: Let's go Bengals or perhaps let's go Rams. No, I'm from LA and that's my team. And (laughs) I have to show some hometown spirit. I do like the Rams. There's a lot to like about them.
0: Uh, So I'm split here. Well, they were your team and then they weren't. And then they were again. And then they weren't. Growing up, I always associated the Rams with St. Louis, like Kurt Warner, Isaac Bruce, Torrey Holt, those teams, Marshall Falk. The whole LA thing was a little lost on me, but I know that they did have a tenure there before. Uh, Yeah, they moved out when I was pretty small. But let's hope for both teams to play hard. Hard and have fun yes nobody gets injured Please. and then the Bengals win.
1: Be safe, gentlemen yes be careful. Yes. don't go knocking your heads into one another. That's crazy. You're gonna get hurt. That's
0: not <laughs> constructive but also <laughs> yeah. if you don't win I'll cry. How are you doing this week besides uh, Super Bowl talking?
1: You know, I feel like there's a fossil that's trapped in a high cliff wall, and that's my soul up there. And also, I feel like there's a dead salmon frozen in a waterfall, and that's my soul up there. Oh no! So in an era when the police are historically unpopular, I have pulled out some old Sting lyrics to express how I feel.
0: You're getting very (laughs) creative with your uh, weekly updates lately. I'm enjoying it. (laughs) At times, it veers into performance art, I would say, (laughs) but it's, it's, it's a good time for all involved, except for you maybe because they always sound pretty bleak
1: it helps me stay sane to express how i feel in dumb ways
0: i get it you could say i'm still riding the wave of beer that i've enjoyed this weekend you were aware now the listeners will be that i took a little trip to one of my favorite cities burlington vermont mm. with my wife jamie and some friends
1: great coat factory up there from what i hear
0: had to visit the coat factory decked myself out in all the finest <laughs> jackets you're
1: looking very cozy right now
0: thank you no i could have used a trip to the coat factory because it was negative two degrees yesterday when we were out bar hopping around burlington for what it's worth, is a very COVID-aware city. You have to show your vaccine card to get in any bars. You have to wear a mask when you're not seated. So I felt a little better about venturing out. We try to stay in as much as possible, but you got to let loose once in a while. Yeah. Went bar hopping, tried some breweries, some good restaurants, had a great time. But a little behind the scenes info, we typically record on weeknights. We're recording this on a Sunday afternoon. So I've got myself some adult beverages and I'm going to enjoy them while we record. I don't typically record blast zone while imbibing, but I'm going to try it out and see how it goes.
1: That sounds like a super idea for our Super Bowl themed episode. Can we even say Super Bowl? Is Roger Goodell going to shut down this podcast? The
0: big game.
1: Yeah, get ready for the big game, which is not super (laughs) in any way that I'm allowed to mention.
0: Yes, the big game is coming up this Sunday. So (laughs) we wanted to do a football themed episode and there's not that many football movies out there and even fewer ones that bombed. I looked at the Box office returns for like any given Sunday. No dice. Made too much money. Okay. The program. Do you remember the program from the early '90s? Vaguely. I think that made too much money, and we landed on draft day, and that kind of ties in nicely with last week's episode where we covered Waterworld because it shares a leading man.
1: He's better suited for this movie. You got to give him that right out of the gate.
0: We're getting ahead of ourselves though, Ian. I haven't asked you about your viewing schedule for the past week.
1: Well, I watched something fun that I wanted to share. It's a series on Netflix called Godless, which you are the one who told me about it. Yep. And I finally got around to checking it out. It's just a few years old. It's from 2017. It's written and directed by Scott Frank, who you may remember from The Queen's Gambit. And if you're a fan of that show, this show is absolutely nothing like it. No, so, nothing at all. If you care for it at all, this is a gritty Western, very classical Western. It's got trouble people. That are looking for redemption for themselves. It's got a classic setup of some lawmen and some very nasty criminals on a slow motion collision course. And I expect at some point there's going to be a a very dramatic showdown. I'm not all the way through this season of the show, oh, but it's really fun. And it's got a ton of fun people. Your guy, Scoot McNary, who you're always talking about. It's my
0: boy, Scoot. Love Scoot.
1: Classic insane sailor, Kim Coates, from last week's episode.
0: Doing better work in Godless, I will say. Yeah. He's, He's better in Godless than he was in Waterworld. It's not so over the top, but he's still chewing
1: the scenery. He's a nasty kind of a dude. It's got a lot of other like premium cable stars. Merritt Weaver, who I love. Jack O'Connell, who I'm getting to love more and more. He was the star of The North Water, which is when I first became aware of him, but he's the star of this one.
0: And you can't forget the heavy of Godless, the big bad. That's right. Played by maybe an actor you wouldn't expect in that role. None other than Jeff Daniels. Yes. Bringing it as a slightly manic zealot of an outlaw. He is evil and eviler in this. He's a scary (laughs) dude. Well said. But yeah, he's. I love seeing him in different types of roles. He's a pretty versatile actor, but I feel Dumb and Dumber was just such an iconic role that he constantly surprises people when he plays anybody with a shred of intelligence. Yeah, it's
1: funny that he got typecast for that role, which is outsized and an outlier in his career. But yeah, he's really good in this. He's a great actor and this is a juicy role.
0: He even made me enjoy The Newsroom, which is just like mm-hmm. the pinnacle of the Aaron Sorkin hubris of, you know, writing smart people saying smart things, but to the point where it becomes self-parody. But I stuck with it mostly for Jeff Daniels.
1: Yeah, I know you were kind of hate watching that show. and I guess he he kept you hooked.
0: Yeah, he did. But uh, I'm very glad to hear you're checking out Godless. It continues our Western theme. We've had at least one Western in show and tell for a few weeks now.
1: Oh, yeah. We're keeping the run going.
0: So I'm going to try to keep that going. But I don't have a Western this week. I have a bit of a newer movie. I actually made it to the movie theater. Oh, cool and checked out Spider-Man Far From Home. Oh, wow. Oh, no way. Spider-Man No Way Home, oh, I, I should say.
1: That's my problem with the whole series. I can't tell one home from another home, but I'm very excited right. about this movie to hear how it was.
0: Well, they say home is really where the heart is, <laughs> so I really liked it. I've been a fan of all the MCU Spider-Man movies. I like Tom Holland in the role a lot. I thought Far From Home, the middle of the trilogy with Jake Gyllenhaal, was the weakest, but it did end in a very interesting spot, and watching these writers try to write their way out of that spot is pretty exciting. I don't know. It feels a bit removed from the MCU, which is good because it feels like there's real stakes going on in this movie. Oh, okay. Interesting pacing. It's a jam-packed movie. I can't say too much because it's a very spoilerable movie. There's a lot of things you don't want to say about it, but it's got a big cast. There's a lot of characters, a lot of stuff happening, and they take all that and they still manage to make a movie that's pretty character-focused, I would say. It doesn't just become a spectacle nonstop like a lot of the MCU movies can. Right. The action scenes at the end feel like they include the character's arc and they're not just CGI characters punching each other every choice they make in those fight scenes feels like a character choice oh. and not just mindless violence. I really like that aspect of it. I would definitely recommend it. And if you're a fan of the Spider-Man MCU movies, I'd say it's probably the best one. I really like Homecoming, the first one, because it set up the world really well. And I love Michael Keaton as Vulture. But this is just a great time. Can't recommend it enough if you're a fan of those.
1: That's a big accomplishment for an MCU movie to be able to say that there's character choices in the big fight scene, because so many movies, you just get so tired when it's like, oh, the big question for our hero is, can he fight hard enough to to get through all the shit we have lined up for him. well, like, okay, that's just an obstacle course. Right. So yeah, I love it when characters have dilemmas in the climax of the movie.
0: And it's not just the hero that has dilemmas. It's the villains too. There's a lot of journeys people go on and the side characters are used to great effect. We have the typical Spider-Man side characters, Happy, played by Jon Favreau, our boy from Cowboys and Aliens. Oh yeah. Aunt May, played by Marissa Tomei. You have MJ, played by Zendaya she's Michi as well. Yeah, love and Michi. Then, no, like everyone gets a little character arc and they have some real growth throughout the movie. That's an accomplishment. So definitely recommend it. Cool. So draft day, Ian, I know you mentioned you're a little bit of a Rams fan, but not exactly a diehard. What, what's your football background. Did you watch it growing up? Do you watch it currently?
1: I was more of a baseball and basketball fan as a kid growing up in L.A. because we had incredible eras of the Dodgers and the Lakers, historic teams and historic figures in those sports. So that caught most of my attention. We had the Raiders in town for a while when I was young. And so I got to appreciate that. And we had a really painful Super Bowl experience that might have been the beginning of turning me off of football. So I'm in touch enough with football to say I'm a decent, casual fan of the sport. Stay in touch with It a little bit. I saw this movie shortly after it came out, I think when it first got to cable. And not a lot of it stuck with me. I think all I remembered when I came back to it this week was the pacing of the movie. It has this style where it's a ticking clock movie. I mean, literally, there's right. a clock ticking on the screen at the beginning and it follows you all the way to the end. It's sort of all in one day. Yeah,
0: countdowns and clocks and, and limited amounts of time yeah. is really what this movie's all about. Yeah. As I think it's been established here on the podcast, I'm a big football fan, big Bengals fan. Sometimes against my better interests, the NFL does not always make itself an easy organization to support. Mm-hmm. I'm fully aware of their shortcomings. I do have have some moral dilemma about giving them any of my money, but- at the same time, I'm only human and I'm definitely a big Bengals fan, obviously. And also the draft has become such a spectacle. Like the NFL offseason is so long and so tedious for most of it that unlike any other sport, the draft has become just a huge event in and of itself. Uh-huh. They moved it from being a Saturday and Sunday thing to now it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday thing, I believe. Okay. It's a primetime Thursday night is just the first round. And then primetime Friday night is the second and third round. And then the rest of the draft is all day Saturday. So there's no other sport that gets primetime ESPN coverage for their draft. You can find the results on the internet after it comes out. But no, the NFL draft is a big deal, big business. And I think it's because the offseason is so long and it just keeps you on the hook because you're just craving more football by that point. Yeah, Um,
1: They've extended the season a little bit, but like, there's only so far you can go before all your teams collapse in a pile of bones.
0: So Right. It's not baseball and guys don't play to their late 40s, typically. Tom Brady aside, it's it's a punishing sport to play. So you understand why the season has to be short compared to other sports, but it does make that offseason longer, which is why I think so many people look forward to the draft. I don't think I knew this movie Was even being released when it came out. I knew nothing about it, didn't seek it out when it came on streaming or home video or anything like that. But a friend of mine, I'll shout her out. Her name's Lori. This is her favorite movie, I think. Wow. And she bugged me to watch it a few times and I finally gave it a shot. I don't know how happy she'll be with what I have to say about it at the end of this episode, but we did cover it. There are things about this movie I enjoy, but I do think the more you know about football and the draft process, the less enjoyable it is, unless you're able to shut those portions of your brain off completely for it.
1: Yeah, it's a Hollywood movie. It's not an expert insider football movie. It tries to make nods to all these things. And then when they come up, you're like, oh God, they're good you know, that. You'll
0: have like Chia McBride having a conversation conversation with another actor that's supposed to be the head coach is like we have to pick the best football player for our football team that way we can win more football games and the fans of our football team will be happy and he's like you're right if we don't win enough football games our football fans are not going to be happy and you're like yeah we get it man like it, it's very dumbed down but they have to they feel like they have to do that so that casual people will watch it but like, i don't know is anyone who doesn't give a shit about football watching this
1: well there's a tradition of sports movies and sports comedies and sports romances of which this movie is sometimes all of the above, right? Like your, yes. the North Stars, your Jerry Maguire's were like, oh, that's a sports movie, but everyone loved it. And so I think probably that's where producers think, well, maybe we can hit all the notes and ride that wave. And
0: it's been a while since I've watched Jerry Maguire, but I do really like that movie. And I seem to recall you were able to pick up on most of the nuances surrounding the draft and like sports agencies in general from context without it having to be quite so spelled out as it is in this movie. There's a couple exchanges that just felt really clunky in here. Yeah,
1: but that was much more of a character movie. This is definitely about the draft, the main characters in a love relationship. That's a part of it. But really, this is nuts and bolts. This is like you get to sit down in the office with the general manager of a high powered NFL team and watch him go to work and do his thing on draft day. And so it's got to put that stuff in the middle of the movie and it's got to explain it at least to a minimum so that everyone can understand.
0: If you're aware of the inner workings of football, even a little though, a lot of the dialogue can feel just too dumbed down to be believable (laughs) or even enjoyable at times. Uh, You can enjoy it from like a silly, perspective, but not from a movie making perspective. It feels like the coach
1: comes on screen and tells you, I am the coach, I coach the team, and I make the players do the plays. (laughs) They don't literally say stuff that dumbed down, but it kind of feels that way sometimes.
0: When I won the Super Bowl as the coach of the (laughs) Dallas Cowboys, I could have went to any football team I wanted, (laughs) but I picked yours. And it's like, okay, you guys should have at least a passing familiarity with each other, your coworkers. You don't have to explain your life story every (laughs) time you talk to each other. Yeah. Do you want me to go into the story of the background of this movie, how it got made and whatnot? Yeah, let's hear how this thing happened. All right. So. By 2014, Ivan Reitman was Hollywood royalty. His directorial credits included comedy classics Meatballs, Stripes, Ghostbusters 1 and 2, Twins and Kindergarten Cop. Stop it! In recent years, he had a string of bad luck with Six Days, Seven Nights, Evolution and My Super Ex-Girlfriend, underperforming both at the box office and with critics. Romantic comedy, no strings attached, was something of return to form, turning a good profit at the box office and receiving mixed reviews. His next film would be unlike any he'd ever made, a sports film light on the comedy and heavy on the melodrama titled Draft Day. I'm talking about Draft Day! Working from a script by Rajiv Joseph and Scott Rothman, Breitman would cast Kevin Costner in the lead role of Sonny Weaver Jr., a beleaguered NFL general manager, tasked with turning around the Buffalo Bills franchise at the 2014 NFL Draft, while also mourning the loss of his father, and dealing with relationship troubles with his much younger girlfriend who was to be played by Jennifer Garner. The bills would pull out of their involvement with the movie and the perspective would shift to the Cleveland Browns with the cast being rounded out by a group of reliable character actors combined with real-life sports and NFL personalities, some playing themselves and some playing completely fictional characters, which isn't confusing at all. No, I'm talking Double X Jet Ice Cream 36 Counter Naked Waggle at 16 9 Tennessee Free. Know what I'm saying? Given a $25 million budget, filming began in the spring of 2013, both at the actual NFL draft in New York City and around the Cleveland Area, and the movie was set for release on April 11, 2014, about one month ahead of the actual 2014 NFL draft. The film got decent reviews, currently holding a 60% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, but audiences were less enthusiastic as it opened to only $9.8 million, good for fourth place at the box office. It would close its theatrical run with a total gross of $29.5 million, making it an undeniable box office bomb.
1: Throwing a bomb can be a good thing in the NFL, I say, to educate our listeners, but not in Hollywood.
0: No. What's that for a metaphor? I liked it. That was good. You could say this movie was a bit of a Hail Mary to make a profit. <laughs> Just chuck it up and hope for the best, but it yeah. did not pan out. It was intercepted and yeah. ran back for a touchdown by the opposing team. But
1: <laughs> well, that would be- I What's- don't know who the- oppo-
0: Who's the opposing team? I know. The I was od- like,
1: Does the audience make their own movie and make more money than you did?
0: I'd like to see them try. And by <laughs> them, I mean us. I guess we are the audience. Yeah. So-
1: we're going to try to run this back. If we get a few blocks during this episode, we might score.
0: I hope we do. So different type of movie for Ivan Reitman. It's heavy. Like it's even when it's trying to be a little bit of a comedy or a little irreverent. I feel like this movie is just sickly sweet. You know, it's so sappy at its heart.
1: I guess so. It's it is. I'm not (laughs) disagreeing with you because it is sappy, but it's also cynical and it's also goofy and it's also serious. So it's, it's another one of those movies. We're always talking about tone on here. I don't even know if I use that word correctly when I do, but it's light fare. I think that's how I would put yeah. maybe the same point that you're making. It never really gets sophisticated. Everything is surface level. Like people are holding up signs. I am the girlfriend. I am the goofy intern. I am the well, angry. Cutter. Some of them
0: don't hold their signs up high enough in that regard. I'll get into <laughs> it a little bit more. But I think part of the problem with it is that the NFL was officially involved with it.
1: Yeah, that's dangerous.
0: You are going to be neutered with what you can really do yeah. because they're famously protected of their brand and are not going to let you say anything that might disparage the league or the teams or really anybody except a handful of fictional characters that happen to work for the NFL or the teams. But no real life person is coming away from this movie with a little bit of stain on them. (laughs)
1: and the whole construct is never questioned, right? This is not a hero who goes, what am I even doing? Football is stupid and I've wasted my life. No one's ever going to say that. Like everything football wise is great. Which I mean, to be fair, most sports movies don't question the concept of sports. They question whether you can summon the courage to achieve glory. And that's what Kevin Gossner tries to do. Well,
0: but- I, I think actually the two movies I mentioned as football movies that I looked at to maybe cover do question the wisdom of playing football at all, or football a sport. Any given Sunday, I'll... Oliver Stone, he's never going to make a straightforward inspirational sports movie. That's That's just not in his nature. So that's obviously a dark fucked up movie about how backwards you know professional (laughs) sports are and how athletes are stunted and how everyone involved in them is a terrible person Uh and then the program too shows that from the college perspective about how people get corrupted and a little bit of power can go to your head Uh, i haven't seen the program in a while but i do remember liking it even though it's probably not aged fantastically but yeah this movie football being like the greatest thing you can aspire to is just a given (laughs) everybody's super passionate about their jobs they'll do anything to see the browns win and that's just accepted as common wisdom
1: It's accepted just because they told you, like you don't even really feel it. Everything's pretty surface level, but that's not to say there's not something to enjoy in this movie. If you're not looking for anything too deep, it walks
0: you through a story and uh, there's some drama. Absolutely. Do you want to talk about this drama a little bit? Yeah. All right.
1: Here's how it starts. It is the day of the NFL draft. Sonny Weaver Jr., played by Kevin Costner, is the general manager of the Cleveland Browns. Sonny is having a secret office romance with his financial analyst, Allie Parker, played by Jennifer Garner. And Allie just told him she's pregnant. Meanwhile, team owner Anthony Molina tells Sonny he better make a big splash in the draft or he's fired. So Sonny agrees to trade three first-round picks to the Seahawks for this year's first overall pick, giving him the chance to draft this year's consensus top prospect quarterback Bo Callahan. Well, this makes Molina very happy, but it pisses off the Browns coach and their current quarterback. Sonny also talks to his former first-choice pick, linebacker Vontae Mack, who convinces Sonny that he ought to look deeper and uncover the hidden weakness in Callahan before it's too late. A lot
0: happening in this first section of the movie. And the first act ends almost on a cliffhanger with Vontae Mack's cryptic message, you know, go back and watch the tape more. It becomes almost a little mystery movie at that point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: that for me is the most fun part of the film. Because I'm like, oh, shit, there's Shama and it's Chadwick Boseman who was good in everything he did. And I I hesitate. I stopped before I said he's the most interesting character. His character was still pretty thin, but he he had that nice, compelling moment where he's, man, you got to watch the tape this guy's not what you think. And all of a sudden I was like, whoa, there's drama in this movie. I
0: thought the payoff was a little weak of that whole setup, but yes, the setup could. itself worked well. Yeah, they couldn't really pay it off
1: because they hadn't figured out what the drama really was or it didn't really matter in
0: the end. Spoiler, the quarterback didn't like getting hit repeatedly, <laughs> so he got slightly skittish after getting sacked for like the ninth time.
1: Yeah, that was the big mystery. Couldn't
0: be Joe Burrow, though. My man Joe Burrow get hit 15 times in a game and he never loses his cool. Nice. But Bo Callahan is no Joe Burrow, so no, he's I not. guess we got to take what we can get in this movie. But the movie does start in an interesting way with chris berman the voice of football for (laughs) however many years the voice of espn anyway
1: so it starts with a faux espn intro and uh, it's always funny when a movie says the title of the movie and this movie like leans into the ridiculousness of it It gives this whole opening monologue the teams are ready the players are excited blah 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 and he's like i'm talking about draft day
0: and then I feel like the words draft day come on screen, but it looks like a fucking PowerPoint transition. Like the words spin at you, and it's like draft day, and then there's a transition wipe to the next slide. It's it feels cheap. It's corny. And I thought it like so it would be fun if Chris Berman
1: could announce the
0: title of every
1: movie. Like I'm talking about
0: Waterworld. Right. There's no land. It's just water. Da, 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 da. He does stuff like that. He just makes weird noises. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it was fun. It was like a funny
1: jolt to get you going. You know, get a chuckle and you're like, okay, it's on.
0: It was fine. Except for whatever editing software they used to make the <laughs> title of the movie come up on screen. Like it looked too cheap even for SportsCenter. It's not something you would even see on ESPN. So it, it really took me out of the moment. But yeah, you start with Chris Berman. You expect an energy level and the movie gets a little sleepy for a while after that.
1: It does. That's one of my main problems with the movie: is that the drama is not as hot or energized as it thinks it is. Everyone plays everything pretty lukewarm, starting with Kevin Costner.
0: I don't think Kevin Costner's ever been good at playing like intense. I wonder. He's never like a guy that like he's leaving it all out there. I don't know. He he always feels like he's holding something back. He's a little bit, a little coy, like a little. Oh, he's he doesn't care. You know, if stuff rolls off his shoulders. I feel like it's the characters I'm used to him playing.
1: Yeah, maybe that's his vibe. I feel like as a Hollywood leading man, he ought to have that gear where he cranks it up and scares you with his intensity, but he doesn't reach for it. I think
0: we saw him try to go there in Waterworld, but it didn't land, so maybe he realized. (laughs) He creeped you out. I should stick it in my niche. You know, I've got my range I can play, and I'll hang out in here.
1: Yeah, he's a general manager. He is a corporate executive, and it's a fucking day at work for him. That's the feeling that I came away with about the Sonny Weaver character. Yes, it's the biggest day of the year, but like, he's just at the office, so just leave him alone. He just wants to get through the day.
0: Sometimes to hilarious lengths, he'll be like, I don't have time for this, and then we'll get into that more as it goes on <laughs> yeah. uh, there's some funny examples of him doing that but uh, i did want to talk about his hair a little bit yes we have to. so we just watched him in 1995 playing the mariner in Waterworld. he has discovered some kind of secret of hair maintenance because his hair looks fuller and better in this <laughs> movie released almost 20 years later than it did in 1995 that's impressive
1: I believe that the coiffure technology has gotten better. Like, the hair people get credit for this. But the blonde, I thought, was a choice that was not necessary. Why did they have to make him a bleach blonde?
0: Yeah, maybe to try to age him down so his relationship with Jennifer Garner felt less oh, maybe. weird. Even though their real-life age difference is not as big as you might think, they just feel like people of different generations to me, you know?
1: What are they, 17
0: years? Is that what we calculated? They're 17 years apart. Costner was 59 when they made this movie. It looks every day of it. Jennifer Garner was 42. She could have passed for 35. You know, I wouldn't have been shocked. Yeah. It feels a little icky. And if you're looking at your phone and not paying attention for a couple key exchanges, by the time they're at the office, you could mistake their relationship for like a father-daughter thing. (laughs) You know, that was your first comment to me. And then you correctly pointed out that there are a couple key exchanges where it's clear that they're romantically from context you get the fact that they had a fight about the fact that she's pregnant and he's not necessarily ready to be a father because you know he's only 59 he's still got his whole life ahead of him
1: yeah let him settle down he hasn't even taken his own team to the super bowl yet let him get his Rich. career started
0: but if you change the <laughs> line like i'm not thrilled about being a dad or whatever it is right now to granddad. There's almost nothing else until the end of the movie that would make you. you could
1: It could play off as that. that, except I spotted that she is naked in his shower in the background of one of the early scenes. So then I'm like, okay, that better not be his daughter. But other than that, yeah, the scenes play pretty cool. And it is another weird choice in the writing there. They staged that pregnancy talk off screen. And then they had us figure it out, which can be an interesting dramatic device. You're like, whoa, these people are acting cold and they're talking around something. What's going on here? But I felt that it got us wrong footed on reading her character because that whole first scene where you meet her, she's just mad. She's pissed at him and she's not saying much and she's dour and she speeds away in her Camaro. And then the rest of the movie, she turns out to be the most reasonable, most level headed, most understanding character. She's the one who bridges the gaps between all the angry people and is sensible. So
0: also not a real person like her character is very much a construct of male writers trying to write a female character that loves football like i just love the game i like to toss around the pigskin remember the super bowl i do i could tell you every fucking play because i'm a lady who loves sports and they're just so heavy-handed with that it comes across as inauthentic
1: you definitely want to portray her as somebody who deserves to be there and is as serious about the game as any of her colleagues. But you're right, they did it in this sort of cartoonish way that undercuts its own.
0: And then she's the salary cap specialist for the team, which is an important role. But also, when Sonny asks her, if we move up from seven to one, what does that do to the salary cap? And she's like, oh, you know, it's a million and a half we didn't have expected, but we can make it work. No, you should fucking, as the general manager, every potential scenario of the NFL draft, including trading draft picks, getting new draft picks, getting rid of some of them, you should have a plan for. And there are so many conversations people have, especially in the beginning of this, (laughs) where a general manager or an owner will sit down with a coach or any combination of those people and be like, all right, the drafts in four hours. What do we need? No, you f- are you fucking kidding me? Do you have any idea how much time and money people put into draft preparation? They know every single player taken, and then not to jump ahead again too much, but when somebody does one unexpected thing, it throws the entire league into a tailspin, and nobody knows what to do. Nobody's done any research on these players. They were just like, "Well, these guys are going to take him," so we do not have to like Google him at all. Yeah, it's just it's very insane to me. <laughs> it's
1: bad. This is the ultimate example of what you're saying. If you're too real of a fan, there will be things that rub you the wrong way, and a great example. example of that is that the team owner takes his GM on the morning of draft day, says, you got to come meet me at a water park and we're going to go on a walk in a closed water park because it's first thing in the morning. We're going to walk through the closed-down water park. I'm going to lecture you about water parks.
0: It's also April in Ohio, so I don't know if (laughs) water parks are open yet. It's still probably like 40 degrees. We don't know
1: how those Ohioans enjoy their splish splash. But so, yeah, they're walking around drinking coffee and the whole thing seems to be a setup just so that he can do this wordplay and say, you need to make a splash. And it's like, well, you could have told me that on the phone. Dude, like, I've got work to do today. What are we doing? I've been
0: around water before. I know what a splash is. (laughs) I know how water works.
1: It's definitely dramatized in a, a kooky way. And then the drama, this is one of examples of my pet peeve, is that nobody's heart is in these fights. Costner has this line, like, you got to let me do my job, like he's being harangued. But the owner is almost like falling asleep in this conversation. He's so chill. He's just <laughs> yeah, you know, this and that. And he's like, you got to let me do my job. But he's not heated about it either. He's just saying the line as someone who would be heated about being harangued.
0: He seems like mildly annoyed, but not,
1: not angry. The tension is like there in the words, but it's not on the screen. Right.
0: Well, you got Frank Langella, wildly overqualified for this role of Anthony Molina. Also, Frank Langella famously said he had no fucking idea the first thing about football he did not bother to learn anything about football <laughs> could care less he's like i'm just a rich guy used to getting my way and that's how i'm going to play the character Which works, because it's generally what football team owners are, you know, generational wealth, never had to work. So he plays it very cool. He wears sunglasses every fucking scene. That's right. Doesn't matter where they are. Indoors, outdoors, dark light. When you say that it was written, you know, there was supposed to be a little more passion there. I'm like, yeah, but Frank Langella couldn't be bothered. (laughs) Like, he probably wasn't getting paid enough to turn it up to 10. He was like, I'll give you six. That's what you'll get. And you'll be happy with it, because my six is still better. Somebody else's eight, and uh, it is pretty good. We're stuck I, with. I
1: do have to give him credit, despite some of the ridiculousness of the scenes and the situations. He works as that asshole owner. I totally bought him.
0: He's totally fine. There's maybe one scene where he actually gets angry and shows some emotion, and it's not great, but it also happens right after one of the most, you know, flawed logic travel times I've ever seen in a movie. Which <laughs> okay, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, but the, we do have to give a shout out, fellow podcaster. We're both big fans of this gentleman, and this is probably the biggest movie I've seen him in recently. But Griffin Newman from Blank Check is Rick the intern.
1: We're talking about
0: Griffin Newman.
1: Yeah, Griff. Way up there on my list of favorite
0: podcasters. Yeah, I love Blank Check. Love Griffin.
1: He has a goofy role as the nervous new kid in the office.
0: And he's good. Yeah. He plays the role well. I felt bad for him. Like, he definitely has a workplace lawsuit uh, ready to go whenever (laughs) whenever he wants it. Because he is just being bullied beyond belief by these Neanderthals, these football people. Guys like uh, Wade Williams is the one who gives him the hardest time. Yeah, Wade Williams plays a... Mm O'Reilly and is just berating him at points. Wade Williams, by the way, not a great actor. Probably the weakest of the War Room guys. I think he's the weakest scout. Oh, really? Okay. I I knew him from Prison Break before this, and even then, I thought a lot of his lines sound like line readings and not like people saying things.
1: Interesting observation. I feel like he has a face that I just accept as that guy, and so I didn't actually question his acting choices. But the scene, like he comes to yell at the new intern, but. For some reason, they gave him like three different problems. So he yells three different lines. That I got to get the
0: tapes and my laptop's broken. My cough is cold. <laughs> he just keeps shouting something
1: different and it's pretty silly yeah but that part of the movie is silly and it switches between the silly laughing tone which maybe is more in ivan reitman's wheelhouse and then these weird serious moments you're never sure you go into sonny weaver's office and you don't know if a slapstick routine is going to break out or like a serious tear-jerking scene about families and loss
0: fatherhood <laughs> exactly one such slap 16 is when we get by the way dennis leary playing the coach in this movie that's a choice <laughs> he is a little over the top here playing like kind of a hotshot coach yeah thinks he knows best just wants to get his guys on the field. And he lights the playbook on fire when he finds out that Sonny <laughs> has traded for the first overall pick. Yeah. Oh, no, they. I guess they already had the conversation, right? In the war room.
1: Yeah, he just needed he's time to- confront confronted st- him. Stage a, stage a dramatic. Yeah. He already had the argument, but he's like, well, now I'm going to show you what I really think. And he burns. And that wasn't the playbook. That was what you're talking about. That was like their- Draft analysis checklist, okay, right? Okay,
0: yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, but if I'm Sunny, I'm like, we already had this argument and we resolved it. I thought we were done. Now you're just fucking lighting my office on fire? And he puts it in like the outgoing mail slot. I'm like, that thing's made of plastic. You're going to ruin this guy's office. Yeah, there's going to be some it's, noxious smoke in there. The fumes alone. Poor Sunny. I never thought I'd say that, but... Yeah, so Dennis Leary, is he's being the tough guy asshole that we expect from Dennis Leary. That's his one mode.
1: He's larger than life. I was thinking about, like, is he playing this too big? Is this too corny? But then again, I've seen Jimmy Johnson on TV for years and he's too big and too corny in real life. So I'm like, oh, maybe that's just coaches.
0: Yeah, there are definitely a handful of NFL coaches that are that flamboyant and, and pull it off. So I'm not saying, Dennis Leary might be the most realistic character <laughs> in this movie.
1: It's a funny irony. Yeah, he has the most cornball lines and yet he's kind of real.
0: He strikes me as like a Harbaugh. I'm not sure which one. Yeah, Jim or John. Okay. But I got Harbaugh vibes from him a little bit. Super intense, thinks he knows best, kind of cocky, tucks his polo shirt in.
1: Well, I guess we actually thought we were making fun of another character, but we were giving the movie a little credit right there.
0: Yeah, I came around. I think he might be the best character in the movie. Right now. <laughs> he's my favorite, and actually, I'm going to get a tattoo of him. I'll be back. Nice. But let's talk about Chadwick as Vontae. We glossed over it a little bit, but he's in this movie. He was fresh off 42. I think this was that era of his career. He wasn't an MCU star yet, but mm-hmm. he was a leading man already. So this feels like a small role for now actor of his caliber, though.
1: Yeah. It seems like the kind of role that your agent's like, you got to take this. This is mainstream Hollywood. This could do good things for you, but it's not interesting to him as an actor. But he made the most of it, as they did for Frank Langella with the water park Splash wordplay. They staged a whole part of the story as a setup for another wordplay. He has these two nephews that he takes care of which makes him very endearing. And he's taking them to a gym facility. His two
0: nephews he endangers, by the way, but I'll get into that. (laughs)
1: Yeah, so he's on the phone with Sonny and he's just like, yeah, I'm taking the nephews to tumbling class. My nephews love tumbling, but Sonny, I do not like tumbling in the draft down from the number seven spot.
0: Get it? (laughs) If I don't get drafted number seven, I'm going all the way to the late teens and then I'll only get like $4 million this year and I can't live on that. I got nephews that I drive around without car seats. Uh What are they like- Seven and five, they should be in car seats. Oh boy. He's just got them fucking seat belted in the back seat. Yeah. Wildly dangerous. <laughs>
1: you know, not being a parent myself, I was like, seatbelts belts, they look fine. But, uh,
0: Irresponsible. I- <laughs> no, let me tell you something about seatbelts and car seats. If you're a child, you have to be in some kind of car seat or booster seat until you're like 15 at this point. <laughs> They've changed the rules recently. You've got to be like 140 pounds before you're out of a booster seat. Oh, damn. I'm exaggerating, obviously. But no, my son is going to be in a booster seat until he's like nine, I think. Oh, wow. So at least one of these kids needed to be in a booster seat.
1: Yeah, the littler one for sure. The other one looked like at least the seatbelt wasn't strong. his He could have been neck. like, yeah, yeah,
0: he could be old enough to be out of one. But as a parent, I could not let that detail slide.
1: But I mean, he's trying. He's a good dude. I thought he was maybe too good. They kind of laid it on thick. They show him at one point, he's like, come over here to his nephew and he's wiping his nose. And it was just a scene to show him being the most tender father figure.
0: Yeah, they they do lay it on thick that he's just altruism out the ass. (laughs) He is altogether too small to be a linebacker in the NFL, though. I think they should have made him a cornerback or free safety or something. You know, Chadwick Boseman was never like a famously muscled man. He looks good in this. Like he looks strong enough to be a defensive back.
1: Yeah, (laughs) realistically. as an athlete linebackers have a certain size that you can't go below and you could see the movie fudging it like not setting him up where you can really check his proportions
0: too much they film him on the phone a lot in close-ups you see his hand and his face but he, I mean he's the right height. Six foot, that's an acceptable height for a linebacker. Maybe a little short, but not unheard of. But yeah, he does not have the thickness. Yeah. And they're setting him up to be like a Ray Lewis type, hard-nosed, pass-rushing linebacker. You'd want him to be sizable. Outside linebackers, look at Terrell Suggs was an outside linebacker that rushed the passer a lot. I mean, he is, sorry, I have a mechanical keyboard now. So when I type things, you're going to hear a lot more clicking oh, yeah. the It's part of the um,
1: texture of the show.
0: He's 6'3", about 265 pounds. Oh yeah, that's, that's a couple weight classes up. He could pick Chadwick Boseman up and put him in his pocket.
1: But, you know, this is a kid coming out, there is a scenario where there are some undersized college linebackers that have to convert to safeties when they get to the NFL.
0: Yeah, it could be that.
1: So he could be that. But guy. he's
0: presented as a pass rusher, not a coverage guy. Yeah. I don't know. I'm getting too football <laughs> yeah,
1: We're going down a dark road if we start to get too serious. Yeah, him.
0: we can't get hung up on that detail. Obviously, if you can get Chadwick Bozeman in this role versus a guy who maybe looks the part a little bit more, but is not quite the actor, you're going to take Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. I understand the decision-making there, but I think you can write the part a little differently to make it make more sense. Well,
1: interestingly, they did get a real NFLer in another one of the spots who you can tell is bigger than Chadwick Boseman. Yes. Arian Foster plays Aaron the,
0: Foster plays the running back. Shaving his beard deages him like 15 years immediately. He looks like a guy coming out of college about to be a rookie, even though he was probably third or fourth year in the NFL by this point. All he had to do was shave his beard. Yeah. He immediately looks a lot younger. He made it work. He was effective in the role. Aaron Foster, kind of a weird dude. He thinks like the Moonlight landing was fake i think he's got some conspiracy theory beliefs
1: i had some vague memory that there was something weird about him but sometimes you don't want to know you don't want to start googling nflers
0: he voted for ron paul in 2012 interesting wow all right, let's not dwell on that, I guess. But he's good in this role as a non-actor. And I know he was interested in acting, but I guess he never really explored it much more. He was in Hawaii 5 as a guest star before this. Okay, and, fun, fun little
1: guest spot.
0: Oh, topical trivia. He's been a guest on the Joe Rogan Experience. Oh, interesting. So that's fun. Good place to go talk about your weird beliefs. Sure. He's narrated a documentary. He is pretty sure he can kill a wolf with his bare hands. Oh boy,
1: that's in his Wikipedia?
0: Yeah, he's brought it up several times. Like,
1: <laughs> I don't know if you're praying. Me right now.
0: No, he responded to comments he made on Twitter about being able to kill a wolf and discussed his interest in physics, astronomy, and his uncensored take on the NCAA and the NFL. And then the next sentence is Foster also made a guest appearance on the YouTube podcast Painkiller Already, during which he gave his opinion on the NFL's battle with CTE and continued with his ideas on killing a wolf. <laughs> It's in there twice. Back-to-back sentences. (laughs) Interesting guy, let's say. All right.
1: Keep your wolves away from Arian Foster. We don't want any trouble.
0: Even a Husky, a Malamute, (laughs) any dog that looks vaguely wolf-like, just don't let him near Arian Foster.
1: Best best not to.
0: He's clearly got a point to prove, and I wouldn't want to be in his (laughs) path. So, yeah, that's Arian Foster, but he plays well. Terry Crews plays his dad, who's also a Cleveland player. Everybody just wants to go to Cleveland, man.
1: There's a lot of love for
0: Cleveland. The line around the block, which is uh, I don't want to say unrealistic. I like Cleveland. I've spent some time in Cleveland. It's a fun city, but it's it's not the destination of all 32 cities in the NFL.
1: There's a weird angle where when the idea comes up that this top draft pick, who everybody knows is going to go first, no matter what, and he finds out that a different team now has the number one pick and he somehow has to kiss up to them like, oh my God, please pick me, sir. I want to come to your team. And his agent's like, oh, you need to kiss up to the GM of the team with the first pick. It's like, I don't think that's how the draft works. If you're like the hot shit guy like yes you have to be professional and say i'm ready to
0: commit and we're gonna do this yeah to some level it's a job interview but at the same time if they want you they're gonna take you
1: yeah they're it's treated in the movie like oh you better kiss up to him or he won't pick you and you won't get a job like i don't I wasn't sure where that thought was going
0: that is a little bit of a a manufactured drama to make it seem like cleveland has all these coals in the fire they could pick any one of these guys and they'd be thrilled to take them but realistically in 2014 especially the browns were a franchise where if you got drafted with them you might threaten to sit out if they didn't trade you, you know, <laughs> yeah, like
1: that, these guys have leveraged these top picks. They have the power. Yeah.
0: yeah. So that is a little unrealistic. But then
1: speaking of manufactured drama, let's talk about the central conflict of this movie, which I think is like a nothing that they drum up. Kevin Costner's problem is that he made this deal that his owner, the guy who employs him said, you have to do this thing. You have to make a splash. And he goes, OK, I traded for the number one pick so we can get Callahan. He's the splash. It's a done deal. The owner is happy. Your job is saved. The prospect is amazing. Everybody in the league is like, this guy is a franchise player. And yet, then they start working really hard to create trauma. Oh, maybe it's not good. We need to find a problem. Start digging, guys. I need to find out what's wrong with the guy I already picked. And even if there was something wrong, right. like, you made the owner happy, you saved your job. Like, he keeps telling people, my job is just to do my job. It, it seems like they're looking real hard for a problem.
0: That actually rings true for me in terms of how the actual NFL does the draft. They'll hire private investigators. There's a famous story about Justin Blackman, who was a wide receiver prospect, highly touted, uh-huh. and And a team sent a scout to a bar, and his job was to sit there all day, every day, and see how many times Justin Blackman came into the bar. Wow. Now, it has a sad ending, because Justin Blackman ended up washing out of the league very quickly due to a severe alcohol problem. Oh, jeez. But, but that just goes to show you, like these guys will do their damnedest to dig up dirt on you if they're willing to spend this kind of money on you. That being said, that's not really like how the drama is played. The drama is played like, but I wrote a different name on a post-it note this morning. <laughs> I can't change it now. It's on a post-it note that no one else has seen. Hey, come on, spoilers, you know man! You're giving away the big <laughs> oh, dramatic punch sorry. of the movie
1: when the post-it note. We're not kidding here. If you haven't seen this, this post-it note <laughs> is folded up in his pocket, and then it comes out and it follows us throughout the movie, and it's folded the whole time. And in the end. Allie unfolds it. Or no, the coach does at the very end. We learn what
0: it said, yeah. which was like- Ali does see it before the coach does do oh, that sees it. it. Oh, she after, <laughs> after the trashing of the office but he's not accountable to a single person with this poster. No one else knows what it means. Right. No one's even seen it at this point. <laughs> it's just ridiculous, but it gives the movie a real cornball payoff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, my point being that NFL scouts and NFL owners and general managers are super determined to dig up whatever heinous shit they can on players.
1: Yeah, and that totally makes sense to me. The funny thing to me then uh, along those lines is then he, Sonny comes back to the war room and they're, they're giggling and they're looking at all of these pictures of Bo Callahan that they found online and they're like, this guy must have slept with hundreds of women. He's an absolute absolute. absolute monster. He's with a different woman every week.
0: Yo, this dude's dick is always (laughs) wet. They didn't say that. This movie's PG-13. No,
1: they're but. like, oh my God, it's outrageous how many young college women this guy has slept with, and this is their job to dig up the dirt. And Sonny comes in there and they're telling him this stuff and he gets so pissed. He's like, it's taking all my strength not to backhand your face because you're wasting my time. they like, what do you mean? This is the dirt. He's like, right. Isn't this the That's, dirt that they're digging for?
0: Maybe the way they're presenting the information is not the most professional, but they're still doing the job you would expect people in their position to do, which is find that everything about this guy, that is not just how he plays, that means how he lives his life, because we're going to be accountable to him for millions and millions of dollars. And if he ends up being a sack of shit as a person, that can affect us too. And we'd like to get ahead of that. So what they're doing is totally reasonable. The way they're talking about it, maybe not so much. But the actual fact of digging up this guy's sex life, I'm a thousand percent certain that's a real thing that goes on in those rooms where they're Googling this guy's girlfriends. Oh, you saw it in Moneyball, they didn't want to take a guy because he had an ugly girlfriend and they said it means he has no confidence. Mm. You know, scouts and sports will look at anything to try to get an edge.
1: And this movie glosses it over because Sonny's example, when he's like, we got to look for something, is like Peyton Manning, they said he didn't have the arm strength to throw the deep ball. It was like you don't have to dig for those facts, buddy. Everybody knows exactly <laughs> right. the arm strength of every quarterback in the draft. Right. So, like, tell your guys to stop looking at his social life and start trying to figure out if he can throw a football. That's more of the dumbing down of the football
0: stuff. And of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that we alluded to it earlier. But this is when Vontae drops his. Make sure you watch Bo after I sack him. Right. Which we don't. We don't get paid off in this section of the movie. But then I had to shout out a Brad William Henke, mm. who is an actor everyone knows, even if they don't realize they do. He is the strength coach. I believe his What's his name in this movie? I know he has an actual name, so I want to get it. He is Tony Bagel Bagley. He's got a nickname in this movie. How does he have a nickname? He's on the screen for three minutes. Oh, Tony Bagley. Yeah. 55 years old, by the way, Brad and Henke is. He looks great for his he age. He looks
1: good. He's still yoked as hell.
0: Yeah, but he's the strength coach. I just thought it was funny. He's bragging about how strong Brian Drew, who's the quarterback currently on the Browns roster, right. played by Tom Welling, who you will probably best know as a Superman on Smallville. That's right. Looks good in this movie. He, he's a convincing quarterback. I would mm-hmm. buy him as an quarterback. He looks the part, but he's like, oh man, he's so strong. I can't believe it. He came in here. He benched, what does he say? 250 pounds, 25 times. First of all, nobody benches 250 pounds. That's not like a measurement of weight that makes sense on a bench because you have a 45 pound bar and a 45 pound plate. So four 45 pound plates and a 45 pound bar is 225 pounds. Oh. If you throw a 10 on each side of that, you're at 245 pounds. What are you going to throw a fucking two and a half pound weight on each side (laughs) after that to make 250? Nobody does that. It's not a measurement of weight that you ever see. And
1: No, that's, you know, it's been a long time since I've been at gym, but you've now explained why you see that number, like in the combine, they're talking about reps on 225, It's four plates, yeah.
0: It's four 45 pound plates. Yeah, yeah. Now I get it. It makes perfect sense. 250 pounds makes no sense as a weight measurement for bench press.
1: That feels like a studio note. Like it was 225 in the script because the writer actually knew something about football. And then the studio's like... That's a weird number. Make it an even number, 250.
0: But that's not even my biggest problem with this scene. My biggest problem with the scene is why is the strength coach so shocked at how strong the quarterback is? You (laughs) coached him to do that. That's your job. Did you just take six months of vacation and then come back? Oh my God, he did it without me. Wait, I think they do say something about he was doing secret workouts though. Isn't that part of
1: the story? Oh, his secret workouts. Was that he got himself into special shape in the off season because
0: he was going to reclaim his
1: former glory.
0: True. Okay. That makes sense. The 250 <laughs> pound thing pisses me off though. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. As a man who can bench 225 pounds several times. Several. Not 25.
1: Well, you don't need to. You're not going under center for the Browns anytime soon that I know of.
0: Not this year. They I don't return my calls. All right. Do you want me to walk you through the second part of the movie? Or was there anything else from this first section you wanted to go over?
1: No, that's good. Let's see what happens in the second quarter.
0: So current Browns quarterback, Brian Drew, is furious at the possibility of losing his job to Callahan. And he trashes Sonny's office. But Sonny confronts him and coolly tells him he's simply going to draft whoever is best for the team. Sonny reviews some game tape of Callahan and notices he acted skittish after being sacked by Mac, but he performed well overall and won the game anyway. Sonny's head of security brings him stories of a couple incidents which perhaps call into question Callahan's character, but they're vague and inconclusive. Sonny's mom shows up in his office and asks Sonny to come read a prayer while she spreads his father's ashes on the practice field for his final wishes. He tells her he can't do it because it's draft day and she goes off in a huff to do it without him. In a quiet moment, Sonny admits to Allie the reason he fired his father a couple years back was that the doctor said coaching was killing his dad and that was the only way to get him to quit and spend time with Sonny's mom. One of the most unintentionally hilarious parts of this movie <laughs> yes. happens in this section where we have this argument between Sonny's mom and Sonny where he's like, no, I can't go outside and spread the ashes on the practice field. I'm too busy. It's draft it's day. fucking draft do day. Do it another day or do it without me. And then he walks outside and stands next to the practice field for like 10 minutes <laughs> and has a quiet thing to himself and talks to Allie for a little while.
1: It's So mad, mom, why can't you understand? I'm too busy to go on the practice. To field i need to fucking get out of
0: here and literally the next scene he's on the
1: practice field what the hell
0: and watches his mom go spread the ashes without <laughs> yeah, him she walks past him with his with the rest of the staff <laughs> the whole coaching staff is there kissing up also why is sonny's ex-wife there i don't know they're like well that's a character that should
1: be in a scene Put her in the scene. And it's Rosanna Arquette.
0: Yeah, a great actress. Probably did not need to do this movie or give her a bigger role. Yeah, she's got two lines. She was great in Escape from Dannemora. I don't know if anybody watched Ooh, that show. No. That show was great. Great miniseries that was on Showtime, I think. And she's awesome in it. But I love that she shows up and Sonny says something like don't you have an art exhibit opening to go to it's like yeah Sonny she's not a blue collar real American like you whose dad was a millionaire football coach for your entire life (laughs) like where are you getting all fucking high and mighty about people living in the real world I know you are a child of nepotism
1: it's dumb and yeah she's not somebody from outside his circle he fucking married her
0: again this movie is not well written enough to clearly indicate people's relationships I thought that was his sister for a while oh yeah because of the blonde hair too right they look alike and just it would make way more sense for his sister to be there and also if she wasn't part of the family business of football maybe then i could understand more resentment coming from him about when you have an art gallery opening to go to like you chose not to be Mm. part of this world that That just makes way more sense why don't you just change it just (laughs) that's better it's better i just fixed your fucking movie congratulations
1: that's a huge fix because yeah why was she at the funeral the whole thing makes more sense i feel like maybe they changed that at the last minute they're like now make her the wife
0: there's more drama i don't know she definitely is the wife, though, right? I'm remembering yeah. there are lines. Yeah. No,
1: it's definitely the ex. Because the reason to have her be the ex is there's some tension. Allie comes in a room and goes, Oh, this is Allie. She's the. Uh-uh.
0: It's Sonny's mom, won't say her name. Right. He calls her Amy. Sonny's mom, kind of an asshole. But so is Sunny. Yeah. You see where it comes from. <laughs> yeah. It makes perfect sense. Ellen Burston, great actress. Yeah. Playing Barb. Pretty thin role.
1: Fantastic actress. And I was thinking oh, she brought something good to this movie. And then you're like, Really? And then I watched it again. I'm like, Maybe not. Maybe she didn't. No,
0: she's not great in it. She's capable of a lot more. But. She's let down and her character is also wildly inconsistent from scene to scene. Like when you first meet her, she's just super overbearing and, and critical and just mean. And then they soften her as the movie goes on, but it doesn't feel earned or organic when she actually changes a little bit.
1: And she's almost comic relief in her first scene, which I think I've suppressed that scene the first time around because she pops up on the phone and she's like, Fonte Mack just tweeted this. And he's like, what are you doing on the Twitters, mom? And she's like, isn't everybody on the Twitters? <laughs> and it's a comedy thing. But that part made her into a goofy, lighthearted character. And then she has to carry this, right. like, your father's ashes scene later on it's it's a tough carry
0: and be uh almost an antagonist for sunny at that point in the movie you're right i forgot about that phone call scene but it did feel tonally inconsistent with her Her character is just she's whatever the scene needs her to be yeah but that's not good writing you know you're you can introduce a new character to serve one of those two roles or do you really need the twitter scene why can't Allie just walk in and tell sunny oh bonte tweeted this right or give it to the
1: comic relief guy rick the intern
0: yeah he's a young guy who's you know griffin newman is active on social media so rick could be active on social media Sure, he could just be like oh Dante tweeted this thing and then they could yell at rick like it's somehow his fault because bullying is cool in this movie we've got some great character actors popping up in this movie i know you wanted to shout out wro brown as ralph maury maury yeah i don't know if they ever said it i read it off the cast it's list. in the credits yeah. yeah
1: i wanted to shout him out just because i can't let go of him as dan doherty in deadwood so like for me if wro brown is your henchman in this movie which he is to sunny and like i expect him to take Bo Callahan and feed him to Mr. Wu's pigs. Yeah. Something down and dirty is going to go on. He's going to pull out a big bowie knife and stab a guy in the gut, but he doesn't. He just comes up with these outlandish and annoying little rumors about Bo that end up proving inconclusive and not helpful.
0: He is a great character actor. I know him from, of course, Deadwood also justified. He had a role in an episode that was quite interesting, but he's kind of, I don't want to say realistic, but again, the stuff he's digging up on him is the type of stupid shit that real NFL teams care about Mm -hmm. when they're drafting people first overall. So that part of it rings true for me. And the story about nobody came to Bo's birthday party, like that's dumb enough that NFL teams actually would care about it somehow. And so he tells the story about how teams, uh, I think it was the Washington team sent a playbook to Bo. Callahan with a hundred dollar bill taped to it. And they do it to a lot of players. Most players either fess up to it and are like, Oh, you know, yeah, I got the hundred dollars or they claim to have read the whole playbook. And then when asked about the hundred dollars, they admit they lied and didn't actually read the whole playbook. But Bo stuck to his story and said, I've read the whole playbook and there was no hundred dollar bill in there. And that's how they knew he was a piece of shit, just human garbage. And that story is actually based on a true story. It's slightly different, but The Oakland Raiders gave Jamarcus Russell their first overall pick, maybe 2007. That's off the top of my Uh head, but around there gave him a DVD to watch that was blank. And then they asked him about it the next week. And he's like, oh yeah, I watched the DVD. It was great. Like I learned a lot. I paid attention, took notes. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Yikes. Never owned up to it. But he famously washed out of the league. Probably the biggest bust in NFL history. And there were similar stories floating around about other quarterbacks all the time. So that part I thought was kind of cool, interesting. Oh, 2007. I got it right. Oh, Hell nice. yeah. Super fan. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. I, I don't want to publicly declare myself a super fan of the NFL. <laughs>
1: NFL super fan. It's not it's not something to be proud we're of. Kind
0: of a shit organization. Yeah. But the way Dub earl brown plays the scene it's so dramatic and he drags it out like oh and you know this said it was the second strangest reaction they ever had to the hundred dollar bill thing and asked me who the first one was <laughs> kevin kosh was like no i got shit to do i'm busy he's like ask me yeah and finally he's like brian fucking drew you mailed it back and it's okay that's a fun reveal but you're acting like you're you know revealing who murdered his dad or some shit yeah it's not that big a deal in the grand scheme of things. None of this tells you anything about how they play football. And it's the movie turning into comedy because,
1: like you said, the Sonny character acknowledges the fact that his head of security is being a weird, dramatic freak, with forcing him to ask me the answers to all these questions instead of
0: just telling him what he found out. He's like Jigsaw. Yeah. He's like, let's play a game. It is- Dial down the theatrics a little bit. Yeah.
1: Why did you make the head of security a strange theatrical diva
0: instead of having him bring you serious stories? But you know what? We're giving him time on the pod. We're talking about him because yeah. it was memorable. Yeah, it was memorable. You got to give him credit. <laughs> what else goes down in this section now that I've worked myself up into a Earl <laughs> Brown-like frenzy? Oh, Rick's. Broken computer. Oh yeah, was a funny scene. Sonny just fucking flings his computer at a wall, <laughs> leaves an indentation. Guy like that. Rick picked his computer up off the ground. There was clearly a computer-shaped indentation in the wall. And it's like, how did this happen? Yeah,
1: it was kind of his mistake. He left it in Sonny's office. Like, don't leave your laptop around Sonny's office. He's already seen one member of the team come in and set a fire in there. He's seen a number of members of the team come in and start tearing everything off the shelves and kicking it around. <laughs> like, you got to read the writing on the wall, buddy. Stuff is not safe if it's in Sonny Weaver's office.
0: Do the The Browns keep an interior decorator on salary to fix Sonny's office. Is it getting destroyed like this all year? (laughs) We've got
1: like a drywall guy on speed dial. We got
0: another hole. Come patch this. We got the molding guy in here. They fucked up the crown molding this time.
1: (laughs) All right. Walk us through the end of this. Here we go. It's now prime time and the draft begins. Sonny surprises everyone by using the number one pick on Vontae Mack. The Browns' owner and coach are pissed, but other teams now suspect there's something wrong with Bo Callahan, so they start passing him over too. And Sonny suddenly has an idea how to exploit this new situation. He tells everyone to shut up while he goes to work, Calling other teams. He convinces Jacksonville to trade him the number six pick, then trades that spot back to the Seahawks so they can take Bo Callahan and give Sonny back the number seven pick. Then he uses that number seven pick to draft a highly touted running back with deep family ties to the Browns. Analysts on TV are impressed with Sonny's crafty deal making, and now the Browns' owner, coach, and old quarterback are all very happy. Sonny makes peace with his mom and tells her about his and Allie's baby on the way, and several months later, a new football. Football season begins in Cleveland, full of hope and promise.
0: All right, first things first. What does Sonny Weaver actually accomplish in this first round of the NFL draft? He gets a linebacker. He could have gotten at seven. That now he has to pay a first overall pick salary to. And the way NFL pay scales work is you are paid according to your draft position. So Vontae Mack could have been paid a lot less. Oh. Now he's making more money, costing the Browns more money. And then he gets to draft a running back seventh overall, which. More commonly accepted wisdom in the NFL recently is that you do not pay running backs big money. They wear down quickly. Yeah, they don't last. They're pretty replaceable for the most part, unless, you know, you're a generational talent. And you can get a guy that, like, the difference in talent between Ray Jennings and a guy you could get at the seventh pick of the second round is going to be pretty much negligible. Yeah. Yeah. Is this really the triumphant first round we thought it was? First, he makes a total
1: mess of it, right? (laughs) He fucks up. He gives away three years of picks, and he picks the guy he could have got without giving away anything. So then he salvages it. But you're right. It's not that impressive. He's basically
0: just cleaning up his own mess. Yeah, he
1: cleaned up the (laughs) total mess he made. But I think, to your point, the value of signing that running back was the family ties. That was a hometown kid whose dad was, Terry Crews, was the famous Browns running back. And so he just won fan points for that and not actual franchise value.
0: I think this team goes three and 13 and Bo Callahan wins MVP. <laughs> yeah. So it's a big win for Seattle. Right. There's a lot of fucking conference call drama in this section of the
1: movie. <laughs> yeah, this is the payoff for the phone action. Phone action starts early. They start doing these split screens. It's all about the screen wiping back and forth and creative little flourishes. And then here's where it really puts the pedal to the metal.
0: So Patrick St. Spirit plays Tom Michaels, the Seahawks GM. I don't think he's good in this movie. You don't like him? I like the character. I don't think he's really pulling it off, the writing. And it's clunky writing, so it's tough. But I don't know, I didn't buy him. I I wasn't thrilled with his performance. But, you know, Sonny's been on all the the blogs and the chat rooms, and uh, he was on WordPress and Tumblr. Uh, He was checking the Seahawks fans' MySpaces. He knows they're pissed about him trading away the first overall pick, so.
1: Yeah, that was another one of those unintentionally funny lines. Because Sonny has the Seattle guy on the phone, and he's starting to like turn the screws on. I'm like, you need this pick. You better make this deal with me. You better get Bob Callahan. And when he really twists the knife that really freaks the other guy out is when he says, I checked all
0: the Seahawks fan blogs and chat rooms. Like, It sounds so stupid. Maybe it's cooler in 20 uh, 2014 reddit was already a thing in 2014. you could be like i was on reddit Seahawks fans are pissed. That would ring true. Chat rooms in 2014? (laughs) Not a fucking chance.
1: And I get that that does play into these guys' decisions, but the general managers are checking each other's chit-chat on the internet and using that against each other. I don't know. No, that's a
0: job. That's what Rick should be doing. That instead of fucking breaking his equipment and like putting him in a locker and giving him a wedgie or whatever (laughs) they're doing to him for the duration of this movie. Like Rick is the one, the young social media savvy employee should be scouring the internet to get some... Fucking dirt, you can leverage against this guy. Instead, you're busy fucking giving him a swirly or whatever. They should have put that in the script.
1: Sonny should have been, I've been checking all the Seahawk fan blogs. And the guy's like, What the fuck are you doing checking fan blogs? Well, I broke the intern's laptop so he couldn't do it and I felt bad. I had to do it myself. Right.
0: Yeah, it's bizarre. It's (laughs) It's uh, fun
1: to make fun of. Because the thing is, it still holds together as a movie. The excitement ramps up. It's Costner giving you everything he's got and screwing guys on the phone, old white guys doing hard business deals. If you like that kind of thing. And, and
0: also screwing over some youngish white guys. Mm-hmm. Like, we gotta talk about Pat Healy as uh, the Jaguars GM. What's his name? Jeff Carson. This guy is just like a barely contained ball of anxiety and rage. <laughs> what a character. He just pulled this character out of his ass. Like, none of this is written on the page. He's just making some facial tics and contortions with his face. He looks stressed out and angry, but also, you know, he's second guessing himself. He's insecure, but he's full of rage. This character is doing so many things at once without any of it being in the script. (laughs) Kudos to Pat Hill. He was like, I get three minutes of screen time. I'm going to put together a fucking reel.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And it's a conference call. So how do I make that dramatic? And yes, he's the character who's like the weak one emotionally. And so he's a punching bag for Sonny works him over and just totally has him wrapped around his finger and makes him take basically a pretty shitty deal just by haranguing him.
0: What do you know? What do you know about Bo Callahan? You guys have had months to prepare for the draft. What don't you know about him? Why are you asking? And it's also super uh, silly that The Browns passing on a player would make the rest of the NFL second-guess themselves and be like, well, we thought he was perfect, but if the Browns don't want him...
1: Yeah, with their track record of perfect picking in the
0: draft. (laughs) In real life, if the Browns pass on a player, you're like, he must be amazing. (laughs) We're taking him immediately. We don't even need him. We don't need him, but you know, the Browns don't want him. He must be great. Another bonehead move by the Browns. They have fixed this in recent years, but at the time this movie was made, it was very much conventional wisdom that whatever the Browns do, do the opposite.
1: And the actual 2014 draft is when they got What's his name, right?
0: They got Manzel and Justin Gilbert, mm. both out of the league within three years of the draft. Ooh, tough ones. And uh, they did a lot of maneuvering to get both those players. Oh, okay. So it mirrored the real drama of the movie, except... If you want a depressing companion piece to the movie, you can track the other picks they take in the movie with their real life picks and determine they were all busts. Mm. And Brian Drew probably got his leg amputated by the end of the season. <laughs> yeah.
1: Joe Theismann, brutal career-ending injury.
0: Or Alex Smith, who actually came back from a similarly brutal Ooh, injury. Oh, yeah.
1: I think I never watched that one. I can't watch it's those bad. replays.
0: <laughs> and then so Sonny's on the phone with the Tom Michaels character, and he calls him a, and I quote, pancake eating motherfucker. It, it startled me awake because the movie was starting to lose I was like, what the fuck? This is not the movie where you drop a line like that. It felt wildly out of place. I
1: can see like that was where he got hottest. This man has been eating shit all day and finally he's fed up now. He's firing back on all cylinders and he's calling him out for the fucking
0: pancakes that he ate. They've called back to the pancake line several times. They both do. He's like, I'm here meeting my pancakes, thinking about moving the number one pick. And then later he's like, you told me you were eating pancakes. It's like, why is that the thing you're hung up on? There's so many other things from that conversation you could be focused on. Nothing. Goes together like football and pancakes. <laughs> football and pancakes, and I guess this movie was originally given an R rating. Oh, really? And they didn't have to cut anything to get it down to PG thirteen. I think they called them was like, "Be fucking serious." Because you're allowed to fuck in a PG-13 movie. This movie has the one. There's nothing else in this movie that would make it rated R that I can think of. I didn't see anything. If you cut the pancake eating motherfucker line, I'd feel comfortable giving this movie PG. It's pretty safe. There's nothing serious in this movie like that. No, there's nothing racy. The letters CTE are never even uttered.
1: There's no actual danger. There's no sex. There's no violence on the screen. And like you said, there's almost no language, which is weird in itself for a movie about sports executives behind the you scenes. You just know
0: these guys are calling each other a cocksucker and oh, yeah. son of a bitch and all Astor, day. Yeah. And it's so sanitized for the movie. So I was shocked to read that. Again, that this is like IMDb trivia. You always got to take it with a grain of salt. True. But I was very surprised to hear that. And then speaking of sanitized, we get the man himself, Roger Goodell, on screen. <laughs> yeah. And I have a bone to pick with this section of the movie. You have put in your notes that even in the movie, they still boo Goodell. <laughs>
1: the guy agreed. To be in the movie and actually do some work. He has to read these phony lines introducing a fictional draft.
0: They didn't boo him enough is my argument. Yeah. If you actually watch the NFL draft, they boo the shit out of him. There is not one person cheering <laughs> for him. And in the movie, it's like a mix, yeah. you know? It's like 60-40 boos versus cheers. It's got to be at least 80-20, probably 90-10 to make it believable. So that's my main argument with that section of the movie. Also, fuck Roger Goodell.
1: Those fans, they show some of them. The fans that are in the gallery are some pretty hardcore football bros. They are not maintaining decorum in the Interest of good else.
0: Good name. I think it would have been really funny if they had a shot of the crowd when Goodell comes on screen and everyone's giving him the middle finger and (laughs) clearly booing. But then the audio is just like clapping and cheer just to (laughs) drive the point home a little further. And then the movie ends with just a shot of the team in the tunnel getting ready to take the field. We're excited. We see Vontae. We see Brian Drew. We see Ray. We don't see David Putney, the punt returner they fought so hard for in the conference call.
1: Oh, yeah. They didn't bother to cast him or even (laughs) put a picture of him on a screen at any point.
0: Nope. They could have cast like a real NFL player in that role. Why not? That would have been neat. You're doing it for other stuff, but now we don't get to see Putney. And then they take the field, but we don't know if this movie has a happy ending because we don't know how the team does. There's no post text like, oh, you know, they won the divisional rounds of the AFC, but they got eliminated, but they have a bright future. We have no idea how this team performs
1: yeah it's a lot of hopefulness which i guess maybe that's a concession to the reality of football that like all this great shit happened and like you said they're probably going to go three and thirteen and
0: then the credits start rolling with <laughs> what i can only describe as the most dog shit ass fucking butt rock song i've ever heard in my goddamn life ian can you please play a clip of it over this section ladies and
1: gentlemen born to rise by red Light King. <laughs>
0: and you took the time to make a note to me that if you listen to the song on spotify or youtube it's actually mixed differently than it is in the movie. The vocals are mixed way higher in the movie, right? It's real different. So I didn't have the same
1: visceral reaction. You tell me like, oh shit, this song at the end is ridiculous. And I hadn't got to the end of the movie at that point. So I just pulled it up on YouTube. I'm like, "Eh, this is kind of lame, but it's kind of hard rock and album rock song. And then I watched the end of the movie and it came on. And I'm like, this song does not rock at all. They've neutered it. They turned the drums and the guitars like halfway down. So it's just this hard rock singer... Floating out there on his own trying to
0: rock without a band. It's bad. I go to war with the brothers I trust. trust. It's fucking terrible. (laughs) If you had told me it was Hinder, I would have believed you, and that's not a compliment. I did listen to it on Spotify after the fact, and yeah, it is definitely a different mix.
1: At least it rocks a little bit. At least the guitars and the drums are kicking.
0: I'm still not putting it on my playlist or anything, but yeah, it's definitely better. Is it on the soundtrack, though? No, it's not part of the official score, so it's not on the... I was wondering if they would have the mix that's used in the movie on Spotify anywhere.
1: Oh, yeah. You might have to actually watch or fast forward all the way to the end of draft day. We'll put a clip
0: of it in the episode, but rest assured, it's way worse in the movie. So there you have it. So that was draft day. It's a movie. It's not the worst movie. It's not. I, I feel like we, we ripped on it because it's a silly little movie. But it's not bad. It's, it's got parts that are fun. Again, shout out to Griff. Good in this movie. I didn't love Jennifer Garner. I think her character was really just thinly written. Yeah. Again, it's like over the top of trying to make the Alley character a real like credible as an executive, but you go too far to the point where it becomes a caricature of that type of character. Like a better movie would have that character, but just a little subtler. Like Kevin Costner walks in and he's like, we just talk football. And she's like, we can always talk football. people don't talk like that like you guys ever having a baby together and you're not even like on speaking terms you're just going to set all that aside it it also makes their main conflict feel so compartmentalized that they can just set it aside the fact that we're having a baby together maybe you don't want to be a father like that's not important right now i can just set that aside for my job like you might think that makes somebody a smart person powerful executive, but it makes them not feel like a human.
1: That's funny that you talked about them compartmentalizing their relationship. They literally go into a closet to talk about their relationship in this movie. That is the only compartment where they are allowed- Several times. It's a running gag. They can only do relationship stuff in a compartment, the supply closet.
0: So do you want to hear some facts about this movie, when it was released and how it performed? And- who made it and what they did after that? Yeah. So as we mentioned, we talked a lot about Ivan Reitman's career pre this movie. We didn't talk a lot about his career post this movie, and there's a reason for that. He doesn't have one. This is the last thing he did, and it's not great. Sounds like he got cut from Hollywood's roster. You could say he was a roster move to the practice squad, but he's got some bids in to make the team. I'm running out of ways to <laughs> say this. Now he's got movies in development. Okay. He's making triplets which, as you can probably guess, is a sequel to Twins. Hmm. It's going to be Arnold, Danny DeVito, and Eddie Murphy.
1: Wow. Big cast if it was the 1990s and a very interesting
0: aging cast today. I'll probably check it out. I think Twins is fine. Pretty delightful. He's also making a movie called Summer of Love with Shawn Mendes, okay. which, interesting. Nothing is known about it except that it's a comedy with music. Sounds great. Yeah, that'll sell some tickets. Kids love
1: Shawn Mendes.
0: The kids do love Shawn Mendes. He, he can write a catchy song, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I Know What You Did Last Summer as a bop. It's probably my favorite Shawn Mendes song. It's also the only one I could think of. Off the top <laughs> yeah,
1: of. <laughs> I can't think of the one I like, but I know it, it was stuck in my head for a while.
0: And then, so the writers of the movie, as we mentioned, Rajiv Joseph and Scott Rothman, this is their first film script. Joseph is mostly known as a playwright, but he has written for TV a little bit, wrote for Nurse Jackie, My America. And then the pair would re-team to write a Nick Cage movie that apparently is real called Army of One. Came out in 2016. And uh, that's all they've done so far.
1: Interesting. Yeah.
0: Do you know who the Seahawks were originally supposed to be? No. It's a lot more believable that they would have the first overall pick and need a quarterback. It was supposed to be the New York Jets. Oh, okay. When this movie was released, the Seahawks were well into the Russell Wilson era. I see. Obviously a great quarterback. So it's weird. You're never sure if this takes place in the same reality we're in where the teams have the rosters they actually had in that year. And clearly they didn't to some degree because Brian Drew's not a real character and blah, blah, blah. But they mentioned Andrew Luck. They mentioned Peyton Manning. So clearly there's some overlap with the real world and it makes for a confusing premise.
1: It's just, yeah, whatever we need to change, we'll just... Just fudge it and no one's going to care.
0: So the Jets backed out. They didn't want to be the bad guys in this movie. Mm. If you can call the Seahawks the bad guys of the movie. guess they're the closest they get i just wanted to point out that kevin costner is hilariously airbrushed on this poster oh yeah the poster is (laughs) face tuned beyond recognition (laughs) you can still tell
1: he's old they didn't take 25 years off him but he looks very dashing and he does not look dashing in the movie there's scenes where he's slumped in a chair and his gut is hanging over his belt but not in the poster not
0: in the poster they were like he's got to look like a sexy weird 3d animated character (laughs) the movie opened in fourth place with 9.8 million, as we mentioned. The winner of the week was Captain America the Winter Soldier. Okay. Maybe the best MCU movie. Definitely top three. That's some strong
1: competition to have to go against. Yeah. No matter what genre you're making,
0: that's a big movie. Yeah. Winter Soldier was in its second week. New releases that week were Rio 2 and Oculus. I think Rio 2 ended up being a hit. I think Oculus was a bit of a bomb, though. And, but the Winter Soldier still made $41 million. So in its second week, it made more than four times what this movie made. Wow! Yeah, Winter Soldier would keep the top spot the following week with 25 million. Draft Day would drop to sixth place with 5.7 million. 42 percent drop is not terrible. That's still still respectable. And then in the third week, it would drop out of the top ten, only make 2.7 million, and that's where we leave it. It just never had a shot. That's interesting. Unlike some of our
1: other stories where the movies made some money, but they just spent too much. Like it's 25 million too much to spend on this movie. It has a good, slick, polished look. And it has a big cast. So do you think you could bring this movie in for so much less that you could? No.
0: I think t- this movie should have cost $25 million. I think if you told me it cost 35 I would be like, all right, I could see it on screen. You know, it doesn't feel like they wasted a dollar here. It just didn't find an audience. And maybe this, like, just adult, mild sports drama isn't in vogue anymore.
1: Or maybe it just has to work better. Like, maybe... It just won't catch fire if you just go through the motions, which is what this movie did. Maybe you have to actually have some unique, something special about the script.
0: And I wonder if, you know, you want to have the real NFL teams and the involvement because that will bring in more fans. But then you have the clear hero of the movie be the Cleveland Browns, not the biggest fan base, not the most popular team. Is that kind of hamstring the movie? Because are you really going to want to go see this movie if you're not a Browns fan? If it's a made up league, then you can make your team a proxy for whatever team the movie's focused on and maybe take away some something from it. If you just go see it as an NFL fan who hates the Browns, how motivated are you really to pay $14 to go sit in a movie theater and watch it?
1: That's a good point. There's something to be said for the realism. If you know something about football, or even if you don't, you go, okay, I get it. Cleveland Browns are making lottery draft picks. And so that makes sense. But yeah, not that many people are getting excited. Like, oh, I got to see the new Cleveland Browns movie. I can't miss that one.
0: I know having the NFL involved brings an air of legitimacy to it and it makes it so much more polished. But a movie like Any Given Sunday, not to keep bringing it up because they're wildly different movies, but it could really afford to be over the top and and show what Oliver Stone thinks the NFL is like because they didn't have to adhere to any kind of code of conduct right you know i'm sure there were objections the nfl made to parts of this movie that had to be cut i know one for a fact is like they were burning an effigy of the seattle gm outside his office and roger goodell poo-pooed that and said no that makes the fans look bad and barbaric you can't do that so That's the one cut we know about, but how many others are there out there that we just never reported on?
1: It's interesting because I noticed that that's one of the little sub themes of the Seattle story is that the GM, as tough as he talks, he's vulnerable to this idea that the fans are out for his blood. And they do show some angry fans and he looks out his office window at people protesting him outside. But that whole thing fell
0: flat for me. Not that
1: having a burning effigy would have been the thing that sold it for me, but I don't know. I didn't catch any feelings from that part of the drama.
0: I guess they do have a dummy, right? Because he goes to his second in command. And he says, hey, does that look like me? I like some dummy they have of him. And I guess they did something to that dummy that they didn't show in the movie oh, okay. after that. <laughs> but, but yeah, so you, you do wonder what other cuts were made that we never found out about for content or tone. You know, the NFL is very preoccupied with protecting its brand.
1: Yeah, they protected it right out of a profit. There's
0: no edge to this movie. It's a, it's a fucking butter knife. That doesn't mean it's not an enjoyable movie, but it is going to limit its staying power as a classic sports movie. <laughs> you know, you want your sports movies to say something. What does this movie say? It tells a coherent story from A to B, but so do 99% of movies. You know? Yeah, you would hope. You would hope. Lord knows we've covered some that don't, so I give this movie credit for doing that much.
1: You're touching on a thing that I was going to touch on in my final thought wrap-up. So there's all these points where the movie is trying to make ambiguity part of the drama, which is something you could do in a sophisticated drama. Everything doesn't have to be black and white. So as you go along, you're like, okay, does Bo Callahan suck? Is he awful or is he really just fine? And we're making too much out of it. Like, is the relationship with Allie on the rocks or is it solid because she actually understands? Is Sonny an idiot who's fucked everything up or is he actually a genius? And because it wants you to keep all these things in question, it ends up watering down the drama. And like I said, the performances also water down the drama because no one gets that heated or takes the conflicts that seriously. They all play them understated. So for me, like until the final 15 minutes of deal-making where there's a little bit of edge and excitement to it, the whole movie, the whole draft day feels like an average day in the office to me. So it was kind of limp. It feels deflated like a New England Patriots football.
0: All right. Well <laughs> done. Deflategate callback. <laughs> oh, you made me wonder if there's a better movie in more of an ordinary day at the office where let's just say we're in training camp and you have the big cut down days where you got to cut guys from the roster meeting these players they're going to let go and they're never going to get to live their dream of playing in the NFL now and Costner is Weaver and he has to make those tough choices I feel like that's more drama than this like he makes up a problem and then fixes it but that's not captivating yeah that movie
1: could have been good but you would have to write real drama you'd have to come up with some real human stories instead of just this cookie cutter stuff
0: and you'd be showing how depressing life can be for the average nfl prospect right so few of them really get a chance or if they do you know what's the average span of an nfl career i think it's less than three years at, at
1: it's like scary short yeah it's crazy
0: and then you could maybe follow up with players who were let go are they okay or are they dealing with the fallout of your repeated head trauma but that's not a movie the nfl wants you to make
1: no Cadell signs off on zero percent of that footage so
0: so we're left with this kind of commercial for the nfl that has no real point of view It has some decent performances, some fun characters, good actors throughout. But at the end of the day, it's just kind of there. It's not making a point. It's got nothing to say, except isn't the NFL swell? Yeah,
1: it's playing the old prevent defense where you try to be safe and the other team scores on you anyway. And in this case, the other team is the aforementioned moviegoers who come to your movie, tear the cut of the film out of the projector and make their own movie out of it, which goes on to...
0: Win Best Picture. (laughs) The movie we just wrote with Win Best Picture. (laughs) I'm sure it was. We're not even going to write it because we're so certain that it would be too good. Wouldn't
1: be fair. We have to not take over the industry so we can keep talking about it in the Blast Zone every week.
0: In the Blast Zone. That's not not the sign-off one. Don't put the effect on that one. Oops. (laughs) So that was draft day. That was fun to talk about. And again, I feel like maybe didn't come through but it's not a terrible movie watch it if you like sports movies or football you're getting ready for Super Bowl Sunday you want to throw something on that'll get you hyped up this will do a good job of that yeah but it's like the old adage about certain takeout food you'll be hungry again half an hour later yeah it's not good gonna- this
1: is a movie that will blend seamlessly into a pregame show if you let it just roll you might not even notice when you cut over from one to the next
0: before you know it Terry Bradshaw's in your face talking <laughs> nonsense uh, so thanks so much for listening please remember to rate where you subscribe quick reminder Spotify lets you rate episodes episodes now, yeah. or rate the show in general. So if you listen on Spotify, throw us a rating. You, we would appreciate it. You can hit us up on Twitter, at Pod. You can email us, BlastZonePod at gmail.com. Any feedback, suggestions, criticism, although we're not the biggest fan of that. Yeah, we'll take um, it, but, you
1: know, we love to we'll hear from We'll take
0: it. You. Keep it constructive, please. And uh, go Bengals, obviously. Let's hope let's hope that pans out. We're going to be back next week with the 13th Warrior. This is a big one, Ian.
1: A baker's dozen worth of Warriors, and yeah. one of them
0: is different than all the others. I'm gonna take a wild guess that it's the Antonio Banderas character. We're gonna find out because he's like he's one of the only warriors I've heard of. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this is a hundred million dollar club movie. We haven't had a hundred million dollar club movie in a while.
1: I'm surprised. This movie it was totally under my radar. Like I remember the name, but um, going in cold on this one. And excited to see what it's about.
0: Also, we're heading back to the well, revisiting our boy John McTiernan from only our ninth episode, I believe it was Last Action Hero. Yeah so we're going to get to watch another McTiernan movie. McTiernan movies are usually better than you think. So, I'm looking forward to it. And we will see you next time in the blast zone. See you next time in the blast zone. The blast zone. That's the one you you put the okay. effect on. That's the good one. Got it. Try me.